Well, can we manage the traditional greeting? Let's see. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Holly. <laughs> Holly and I kind of grew up in the same tradition, at least as far as Easter is concerned. It's great to be together this Easter morning, and we begin by hearing part of the story as recorded in the Gospel of John. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who'd reached the tomb first, went inside. He saw, and he believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realise it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary... She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them all the things that he had said to her. In prayer, let us pray. Resurrection, Lord, we meet in your name to worship you. We hear the old stories that thrill and mystify us in equal measure. Jesus is risen. The grave is empty. Death defeated and sin destroyed. Resurrection, Lord, we greet one another with smiles and laughter. We sing familiar words that recall former places and times past. Easter is here. Your people celebrate. Death defeated and sin destroyed. Resurrection, Lord, 
We long to be surprised and delighted, to be shaken out of familiarity in a new encounter with you. You speak our names and call us to a journey. Death is defeated and sin is destroyed. Amen. Our second reading this morning is taken from John chapter 20, verses 19 to 29. Jesus appears to his disciples. It was late that Sunday evening, and the disciples were gathered together behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities. Then Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you, he said. After saying this, he showed them his hands and his sides. The disciples were filled with joy at seeing the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I send you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive people's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Jesus and Thomas. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. Thomas said to them, Unless I see the scars of the nails in his hands and put my finger on those scars and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, the disciples were together again indoors and Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Then reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop your doubting and believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Do you believe because you see me? How happy are those who believe without seeing me. Has anybody seen we've got a house in church today? I think it's a gazebo, but it's a house. Do you want to come in the house? Come in in the house. Because Jesus' disciples were in a house that would have been a little bit like this. Come right in. You can sit on the nice, comfy cushions if you want to. This would be how it was with Jesus' disciples on that day. They were in the house. And can you remember how they felt that day? Were they happy or were they sad? They were sad, that's right. Were they feeling brave or were they feeling scared? Scared. Scared. So they went inside the house. Now when we go inside a house and we don't want anyone to get in, what do we do? We lock the doors, you see. And this is where the modern translations of the Bible are a bit wonky because they didn't have locks on their doors in those days. They hadn't been invented yet. And they would have had walls. It wouldn't have been quite like my gazebo with no, no walls. But they, they would have had a doorway, and they might have had a door, but they might not. And nobody had locks on their doors. You could just go in and out of somebody's house. So what the disciples did was they put what we call bars across. And I've got some pictures here 
of doors. Can you see they've got bars on them to hold them shut? Yeah, we'll let the grown-ups see them in a minute, but we'll look at them first. That's right, you put the bars inside. So here's a thought. Can we make some barriers to keep us safe so no one can get us? Look, I've got some cloths here, so if, if we hold them up round the edge, then we'll be safe inside. So somebody wants to come and hold this one for me so that no one can get into us. No scary people can get into us if we barricade ourselves in. That's good. Oh, somebody's gone outside to hold it. That's a very brave person. Super brave person there. Okay. So, who's going to come and help me on this side? So, Jesus' friends had to get a bit braver yet. And they had to take away the things they blocked themselves in with in order to go out and do what Jesus said. But they weren't quite ready to do that yet. So we'll have to hear a bit more of the story and find out what else happened. Now, you can stay in the house if you want to, or you can go back and sit on the chairs, because we're going to sing another song now. Our third reading is from John chapter 21, verses 1 to 14. Jesus appears to seven disciples. After this, Jesus appeared once more to his disciples at Lake Tiberias. This is how it happened. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel, the one from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples of Jesus were all together. Simon Peter said to the others, I am going fishing. We will come with you, they told him. So they went out in a boat, but all that night they did not catch a thing. As the sun was rising, Jesus stood at the water's edge, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then he asked them, Young men, haven't you caught anything? Not a thing, they answered. He said to them, Throw your net out on the right side of the boat, and you will catch some. So they threw the net out and could not pull it back because they had caught so many fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Peter heard that, it was the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken his clothes off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples came to shore in the boat, pulling the net full of fish. They were not very far from land, about a hundred yards away. When they stepped ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish in it and some bread. Then Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net ashore full of big fish, 153 in all. Even though there were so many, still the net did not tear. Jesus said to them, Come and eat. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. So Jesus went over, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This then was the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from death. Oh, I do like to be beside the seaside. Oh, I do like to be beside the sea. Who wants to come to the beach? Oh, they're all asleep. Who wants to come to my beach? That's a couple of days back, the sleeping disciples. We're disciples on the beach now. Who likes going to the beach and the seaside? Uh, All come round so you can, you can see. I don't, That's it. I don't like it. 
Some of you do like it, some of you don't like it. Why do you like going to the seaside? What do you do when you go to the seaside? Charlotte. Uh, uh, you Ollie. Swim. Good. Lovely. Make sandcastles. Fabulous. What were you going to say? Get ice cream. Get ice cream. Well, hey. Put you get your, you sometimes get the sunshine, sunshine, and sometimes get photographs taken. Wow. Sometimes you get photographs taken. Good one. Um, you can swim in the sea. You can swim in the sea. That's right. So all sorts of reasons why we like going to the seaside. And I think, Jesus, do you want to save one as well? Go on a boat. Fabulous. Because Jesus' friends liked going on boats as well. Did you hear in that story? They were on a boat that day. This day, Jesus was on the beach. And his friends were all out in a boat. And they hadn't caught anything. So they were very sad. They'd come out of their house. They got in the boat. They'd sailed out. And they couldn't catch any fish. And Jesus seemingly could see where there were some fish. So he said, put your nets over there. And you'll catch... Pardon? You could play tennis on the beach, that's right. Fantastic answer. Unfortunately, Jesus didn't have a tennis racket, so he couldn't, but you could play tennis. And when they got there, they found he had a barbecue. And what was on the barbecue? Fish. Fish. Now, who wants to sniff? Does it smell? What does it smell like? Fish. It smells like fish, good. <laughs> does it smell off? That's the question. Does it smell nice? Yes. Yes? Who likes fish for breakfast? Because that's what Jesus and his friends had for breakfast. We can't eat these ones because they've been cooked too much and then they've got a bit warm, so they wouldn't be safe to eat. But Jesus and his friends had fish like this for their breakfast. They cooked them whole and they ate them with some flat bread probably or some ordinary bread. So what would you have for breakfast? What would be your best breakfast? The normal stuff that you have for like So fish then? No? Cereal. Cereal. Oh, who likes cereal for breakfast? Hands up. Do you know, some of these grown-ups don't have any breakfast, porridge. I think. Who has porridge for breakfast? Oh, they are the good Scots. They like the porridge. Um, who has kedgeree for breakfast? Kedgeree. Kedgeree. That's like fish and rice that some people have. Who has toast for breakfast? Oh, all sorts of nice things. So Jesus... God gave his friends breakfast because they were still a bit sad and a bit confused. And he said, reminded them again that they should remember him. So I wonder what's your best memory of the seaside. Oh, do we don't want to put sand in the fish, do we? Never mind, that's okay. Be a sandwich fish or something. Fish sandwich. So Jesus' friends remembered forever after that lovely breakfast on, on the beach. And hopefully when you go home, when you've had a nice time playing here you'll remember a little bit of that story. So, because I know you don't really want fish, I thought I'd bring you something else that you probably will want, but you're not allowed to eat it yet. You have to wait until your mummy or daddy says you can eat it. Don't eat the fish, because the fish isn't very nice. So you've got some nice chocolates to take home, and I think we're going to sing again which is the song that is printed on the sheet. So again, if we are able, let's stand as we sing the song that takes us on a bit further in our story. 
We're in the disciples' house. We have some colouring and some craft. If anybody would like to go and make something or colour something. Or as long as you play quietly, you're very welcome to play on the beach. But the grown-ups, or anybody who doesn't want to do any crafting or colouring, have to sit and listen to me. So if any grown-ups desperately want to play on the sand or make something, now is your time to move. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the endings of the four Gospels and asking ourselves the same set of questions. Why did the writer choose to end the story the way that he did? What difference would it make if that Gospel, that one of the four, was the only one that we had? Because in the first couple of centuries, most Christians would have only had access to one gospel. Having lots of fun on the beach, that's fine. But what difference does the ending we hear about each week make for us? If that was the one gospel we had, that was the way we learnt the end of the story of Jesus' ministry, what difference would that make to our discipleship? And so today we start, rather perversely, with the fourth gospel, the gospel of John. And that's deliberate because that's the one that the lectionary writers always pick for Easter Sunday. And it's one that has a slightly different approach to telling the story for many of the others. Rather than going through Jesus' life in a nice chronological fashion, John takes a series of themes, a series of signs, and talks about them. And then he talks about the crucifixion and its significance. What's really interesting and what we very often don't remember is that John's gospel only got in to the Bible by a whisper. If you understand about first century literature, you will know that it's very Hellenistic, very Greek in its style. A lot of dual language, language of above and below, of in and out. It also has very strong Gnostic-ish influences. And the Gnostics were seen as a little odd, a bit heretical. And because you can glimpse hints of that in John's Gospel, some people weren't so sure about including it in the Bible. Very interesting then, because for a lot of people, that is their favourite Gospel. Most contemporary scholars agree that there were at least two editions of the gospel because it actually finishes twice. And if you could find a first edition John, which would be a pretty rare find, but if you could find one, it would almost certainly stop at the end of chapter 20 where it says this. In his disciples' presence, Jesus performed many other miracles which are not written down in this book. But these have been written down in order that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through your faith in him, you may have life. So here's a question. What difference would it make for us if we only had a first edition gospel according to John? The story would end a week after Easter, with 11 disciples terrified of arrest, or worst, 
cowering behind the barred doors, despite the fact that most of them have already had an encounter with Jesus, and, if we accept John's chronology, had already received the Holy Spirit long before Pentecost. In this second appearance in the room with barred doors, Thomas is present, having not been there before. Thomas, who, for some reason, couldn't be there and who just was not going to believe until he could see with his own eyes. Thomas, who, when Jesus said, okay, reach out and touch me, said, my Lord and my God. So why would this be an appropriate place to end your gospel? Why would you stop telling the story there? We need to remember that by the time the gospels were written down, pretty much everybody who could have been an eyewitness to Jesus would have died or at least been very, very old. The likelihood that you would meet somebody who had known Jesus, who'd been on the beach or in that room, was very, very tiny indeed. So you couldn't go up to Peter and say, can you tell me, Peter, about that that day when Jesus did such and such? Can you tell me, Nathaniel, about when he called you? Because they weren't there. So they had to trust in the stories that were being passed on. That the word who had become flesh and had now departed could still be glimpsed in these stories that were being written down by a writer who we call John. In writing for a generation that came after all the witnesses had died, you actually couldn't have proof anymore. It was really important to have faith. And it seems to me that that's where John chose to end his gospel. And then say, and if everything Jesus did was written down, it would take an awful lot of books. The end. Or is it? Because the version of the gospel that we have has an extra chapter. Some unspecified distance into the future. We don't know how long. The disciples who have had the Holy Spirit, who have been told by Jesus to go out and as he was sent, so he was sending them. And what do they do? They go fishing. Back to what they used to be doing long before they ever met Jesus. Well, sorry, back to what some of them did before they met Jesus. Because the last time I looked, neither Thomas nor Nathaniel were fishermen. How odd. There are, we are told, seven, certainly seven are named, of the disciples on a beach fishing. Which usually, I must admit, tend to assume all 11 were there. I was a bit surprised when the Good News version says seven disciples on the beach with Jesus, but we don't know how many were there. But what's going on? They've been commissioned by Jesus to go out, and as he was sent, so I'm sending you, and they've gone back to what they used to do. It's a lovely story, that beautiful story of the miraculous catch, which echoes and mirrors the story we hear in the synoptics right at the beginning of the story. Fascinating how John has some things completely the other way around to the other Gospels. 
John has a clearing of the temple at the beginning and not at the end, and a miraculous catch at the end, and as far as I can remember, not at the beginning. So they catch this fish, and then they have this beach barbecue, which is a lovely story. I love listening to that. But what's its purpose? You see, in this gospel alone, we have the wonderful story of Jesus and Peter walking along the beach. That heart-rending question and answer session, when Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, yes, I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. And Peter, you know, is reinstated. That's what we, we take it as, as Peter being brought back in from sort of feeling bad about himself, brought back in by Jesus. The Peter who had said before Jesus' execution, I'll follow you, Lord, even unto death, who had then run away and hidden and then gone back fishing, is drawn back by Jesus. And here's those scary words. When you were young, you did what you wanted. But when you are old, somebody will take you by the hand and lead you where you do not want to go. Perhaps that story was added on to remind people who had never met Peter that the story didn't end in a locked room. Perhaps it was to teach people who ha- that had perhaps denied Jesus under duress, people who had been arrested or ridiculed for their faith, that, oh, no, 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 I'm not a Christian. Perhaps it was told to encourage them that that wasn't the final word. Perhaps that has something to say to us about our own tendency to deny Christ. You know, when we just kind of keep quiet or don't speak when we should or, oh, no, 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 I'm not religious or whatever it is we might do. If we could walk along the beach with Jesus today, I wonder how our conversation would go. And then this second ending has something else. This mysterious beloved disciple who had leaned against Jesus at the Last Supper, traditionally identified as the writer of the Gospel, though we don't know that for fact. And we get this strange thing about Peter looking back and saying, what about him? And Jesus saying, don't worry about him. You follow me. And then this strange bit of text that says there was a rumour spreading that this disciple wouldn't die. But actually, Jesus never said the disciple wouldn't die. But there is this thing to Peter, follow me. Don't worry about John, don't worry about whether he's going to live or die. Don't worry about his story, this is about you and me. And I think that's what Jesus perhaps says to us today. Don't worry about the children making a wonderful sandcastle. What about you and me? Don't worry about the choir. What about you and me? Don't worry about the visitors. What about you and me? Don't worry if that person over there is right with me. What about you and me? You see, the story never actually ends. Again, we are told there are many other things Jesus did. And if they were all written down one by one, I suppose that the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. Now, I know Marilyn works in an enormous great big library. A heck of a lot of books. Do you know how many books you've got, Marilyn, roughly? Just over a million. And that's one library. 
And what this is saying is every library in the world could not hold all there is to say about Jesus. So Marilyn's million books, the million books in all the other university libraries and big libraries, everything about Jesus couldn't be told in all those books. And the reason for that is the story doesn't finish. The story continues in the story of our relationship with Jesus. John leaves us on a beach. Peter and Jesus off in the distance. The rest of the disciples, presumably, still scoffing the fish. But the story carries on. Because our faith, our struggles, our doubts, our questions, our attempts to be faithful disciples are as much a part of the story as anything we read there in scripture. So let's go back to the questions with which we began. I'm not going to tell you the answers. You're going to think about them. Why did the writer choose to end end the story as they did in either version? What difference would it make if this was the only gospel we had? And what difference does the way this gospel ends have for our own lives of faith and discipleship? Let us pray. As he met his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias 2,000 years ago, so today Jesus still meets us in the most unexpected places and in the most unexpected ways. So in our prayers for others this morning, I'd like you to think first of all, of someone who has been Jesus for you. Someone who came to you when you were tired or sad or grieving or lonely or frightened. And said, don't be afraid, I'm with you. I'll walk with you through this time of trouble. You're not alone. And in the silence of your heart, give God thanks for that person. And entrust that person to God's care. (coughs) And now think of someone for whom you have been Jesus. Someone you have accompanied through a time of loss or disappointment or testing. And in the silence of your heart, bring that person to God. And trust him or her 
to God's unfailing love and endless compassion. And leave them there. And finally, think of someone who needs you to be Jesus for them. Someone you know of who at this very moment is struggling with illness or unemployment or the sadness of loss and who needs to know that they do not face it alone. In the silence of your heart, commit them to God's loving kindness and resolve to be the channel of God's love for them and the answer to their prayers. Risen Lord, restore and heal all that is wounded. Be present in the stillness of waiting. Roll back the stone of doubt and fear. And release the signs of your new life in us. Amen. Generous God, every blessing we enjoy comes from you, and the gifts we have brought, let them be employed in our sending out, literal or metaphorical, with the good news of the Christ in whom we believe. Amen. Risen Lord, you meet us in the secrecy of locked rooms. You walk with us on beaches and offer us breakfast. You speak the words we long to hear and issue commands that challenge us anew. As the Father sent me, so I send you. Follow me. And so, as we go out from here, refreshed and renewed, may we continue to play our part in writing your story today and every day.